Hello, good evening and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things French football. This is French Football Weekly and I am your host, Chris, and tonight I'm joined by my regular panellists once again. So uh, I shall say good evening to them first of all. Uh, good evening to Phil. Hello. And good evening to Jez. Hello. And good evening to the win happy rich, I'm going to call him this evening. <laughs> good evening. <laughs> They're nice to have you all with me as usual. And uh, yes, we have a pack show for you this evening to uh, whiz our way through, talking all things from the weekend of Liga. Uh, right, let's waste no time then and uh, get ourselves underway. We are going to start with a little bit of a, a roundup, uh, which little section we call Le Weekend Kifu, uh, which we, uh, of course, announced last week. So here it is back again before we go into our main roundup. So on Friday evening, uh, Ren, yes, indeed, Rich. Hold your horses. Uh, Ren win another game. They couldn't score their own goals, though. That was done by Jeremy Toulolon, who put through his own net in spectacular fashion and secured the points in the home fixture for Ren over Bordeaux. So that opened up the weekend. Uh, we'll come back to the two big guns uh, as part of our roundup later on. But on the Saturday fixtures, Montpellier drew with Amiens in a 1-1 draw in the evening fixtures. Giovanni Sio with a late opener for Danilo uh, Avalar equalised for Amiens just two minutes from time. Uh, Claudio Ranieri's Nantes got back to winning ways. A 2-1 victory over Toulouse, of course. Uh, Thomason with the opener on 16 minutes before Blin Called one back for Toulouse, only for Salah. Who else to get the winner on 67? And Trois also securing another vital three points. Uh, goals from uh, Hyunjun, uh, Kalui and Nian securing a 3-0 victory over Strasbourg, who also saw Nuno de Kostat see red on 31 minutes. Can't help but think that that maybe changed the course of the game. Uh, why always him? Well, because he, he scores and he gets sent off. Uh, Mario Balotelli with the winning goal and uh, a quite controversial red card. I'm not sure it really was a red card. But nevertheless, that's what happened as Nice finally got back to winning ways with a 1-0 win over Dijon on Sunday. And uh, Olympique Marseille coming good uh, despite Everett and all that. More on that later. They won 5-0 against Khan. Uh, two goals for Florian Tovan, a goal for Morgan Sanson and Luis Gustavo. And yes, this is not a drill. Konstas Mitroglu also scored a goal. Uh, and in probably the big game of the weekend that we're not featuring uh, in our roundup, so to speak, uh, was Metz and Lille. We said it would be quite an important weekend for Mr Bielsa. Uh, he got a 3-0 victory away at Metz. Sorry, Jazz. Uh, two goals from Nicolas Pepe, one for the penalty spot and Balloui in between those two goals, securing the points, much needed points for Bielsa uh, in a game which really he must have thought was must win. And indeed he won. So well done to him. Right, so that's the uh, the games that we're not going to focus too heavily on this evening. So we shall transition into our main game discussion. Um, Jess, I'm going to start with you as uh, we are going to have a, a fairly lengthy discussion on the final game of the weekend, uh, which was, of course, the Rhone Derby. Now, I'm pretty sure most people listening to a podcast about French football will be fully aware of the rivalry between Saint-Étienne and Olympique Lyonnais. Just in case anyone isn't or is maybe new to this parish, uh, just give us a bit of a background as to how, the, how big this rivalry is uh, and then give us some of your thoughts on uh, what transpired on Sunday evening. Um, I suppose there's a case for saying that it's the biggest derby in France um, if you discount PSG Marseille um, on the basis of lack of sort of locality. 
Um, I know Rich would argue that maybe Ren Nantes is bigger, but um, I think this one sort of historically Saint-Étienne were previous to, previously the, the biggest club in France and more recently Lyon had their seven championships in a row most of that time while Saint-Étienne were um, struggling and uh, so it's kind of I guess added a little bit of bitterness um, there's a sort of socio-economic side to it as well whereas Saint-Étienne see themselves very much as the kind of working class sort of mining town city um, and look at as Le, look at Lyon as the sort of bourgeois stuck up city down the road um, there's obviously been a few players that have gone uh, not back and forth but players like um, Gomis and uh, Coupe recently who who sort of made their names as Saint-Étienne and as soon as they did also shifted down the road to, to arguably the bigger team, or certainly the bigger team of, of the time. So um, it's one of those ones that's kind of brewed and brewed over time. Um, in re recent times, there's been things like Ferry, I think accidentally, but I suppose going a little bit negligently into Berich and ending his season. Um, there's the sort of usual... League Ash shenanigans of trying to get away fans banned from the match completely. Um, last year there was Corentin Tolisso making a, a huge mistake to hand Saint-Étienne um, a win. So there's, it always seems very eventful. And uh, this, <laughs> this week's match was no exception. That's um, a good word to use. That's a very good word to use of uneventful. Um, I mean, what what did you make of the result? I mean, it, it was it was just a, a staggering five nil demolition job from from Leon, who were in front early and and they never looked back. I mean, was it for you? Was it a case of how good Leon were on the night? Was it was it how bad Saint Etienne were? A bit of the two, I suppose, is to sit on the fence answer. But what did you make of of the whole the whole performance on the night? Yeah, I, th I think it was a mixture of the two. Um, it, it's fast. It would be fascinating. To, and Lyon haven't won in Saint Etienne for four or five years. So, um, you know, despite the fact that they're they're higher up in the league, and it certainly wasn't a formality. And it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened had Hamuma scored the one-on-one -on -one in the second or eighth minute, depending if you're counting the six minutes where you couldn't see anything because of all the flares that had gone off or not. Um, particularly because it was basically, uh, yeah, he was one-on-one. -on -one. Lopez saved it, went off for a corner. Hamuma took the corner. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he sort of injured himself mm. in the run-up or maybe he sort of stopped his toe as he kicked it. I don't know. He went straight off injured. The corner somehow made its way to Fekir about 40 yards away from goal. Leon went up the pitch and scored. From then... The result was never in doubt. Saint-Étienne pretty much showed nothing. And Lyon played very well. But I think that certainly the kind of team they've got at the moment, I think they are very good front runners, which actually sounds ridiculous considering they've been pegged back a couple of times this year to three all draws. But the type of players they've got, they should be very effective, sort of playing on the break at speed. And it was, you know, there's been lots of issues this year in terms of the front four not connecting, lots of rumours about, you know, Diaz particularly being very selfish, Diaz and Traore having absolutely no 
relationship whatsoever. But this week, everything clicked. Fekir was fantastic. Oa is just beautiful to watch. Um, you know, it's like watching a human version of a galaxy chocolate bar. He's so smooth. Um, in the Diaz and Traore did set each other up for goals. Everything just worked out perfectly for Lyon and it couldn't have gone much worse in any way whatsoever for Saint-Étienne. No, no, here's here, here. And um, Rich, if, if uh, Leon had players who were smooth as a chocolate bar, it'd be fair to say St Etienne's defending was reminiscent of something you'd find in the bin on, on bin day, to be honest. It was that bad. Um, what what do you make of, of Leon in, in recent weeks and indeed this fixture? Obviously, feel free to give your views on, on the derby as a whole and, and some of the scenes that Jez described there and obviously the smoke and, and et cetera. And what happened at the end, I'm sure we can come on to. Um, but yeah, Leon seem to have turned the corner, don't they? It seems to be clicking, and whatever they're doing, whether this the manager is responsible or not, something is working there all of a sudden. Uh, absolutely, um, uh, yeah. Genesio deserves great credit, I think, for for sort of handling what happened over the summer and obviously all those big players that left, bringing in new players. Um, it perhaps took a few weeks, understandably so, at the start of the season for things to look like. You know, a Leon that we expect, which is one that's certainly, you know, challenging for a top three position. Um, but it seems that we, we're, we're getting there now. You know, there's some real momentum growing with the team. Um, that front four are looking very dangerous. I still think there's work to be done, as Joe's pointed out, in terms of them working together as a complete unit. But, you know, we've got Fekir, who's undoubtedly back to his, his best. Um, you know, he seems to be getting a little bit of consistency out of, of Memphis, which those that have seen him play know that that's one of his biggest downfalls is consistency. You know, we're starting to see that now. He's scoring regularly. He's getting involved. Yeah, there's a bit of selfishness across uh, certainly those those very front three. Um, but, you know, you want that to soften a little bit, but you certainly don't want that to disappear entirely. You want your, you want your forward players to have that, you know, I'm going to score streak about them because it builds their confidence. Um but, you know, Genesio, ultimately, he's, he's had a lot of criticism over the last, well, I'd argue ever since his appointment, really, it seems that he's been almost on the back foot. Um, you know, he came in uh, as a sort of stepping in after Fournier was sacked and obviously the crowd had lost faith with him, brought in with a you know, bit of fanfare because he was a, a guy that knew the team. He was a Leon guy. Um, but it seems that you know, for a long time now that he's had... Um, you know, the fans on his back quite a bit, but I'm hoping that this, you know, this performance, if, if any performance is going to, this performance will maybe start to, to win him some favour back with those fans because the squad he's putting together now, and certainly some of those players, is starting to look really, really good. You know, they're entertaining, they're scoring a lot of goals, um, defence has sharpened up a little bit. Um, it, it, things are looking good for him, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, more no more so than uh, such a performance in a derby as this. Um, Phil, talk me through the the events towards the end. Um, again, feel free to give us your views on the game as a whole. But this incident or incidents towards the end, um, Nabil Fakir, fair to say, uh, goading the opposition fans, players. I think him being substituted when the game eventually got back ahead was probably the best thing for both his, his own well-being and indeed those around him. I think there would have been a mutiny had he stayed on the pitch. But um, 
for those who haven't seen it, he obviously scores the, the fifth goal and, and uh, does the Messi, if you will. Um, some people say it's a Ronaldo, but Messi's the one who has made this famous. Takes his shirt off, shows it to the crowd, um, and carnage ensues. Mm. Are you a fan of players sort of displaying their colours in such a way in a derby, or is it one of those where you go, mm, it's not the sort of thing we really want to be seeing? Oh, I think... Um... Nobody can say it's not what we want to be seeing because it was it was wonderful uh, theatre apart from anything else. I mean, the match started. It, this wasn't even the first weirdness that happened. The match started, and there was, as Jess mentioned earlier, a kind of a seven-minute delay because the pre-match um, flares and fumi, uh, the the smoke bombs, apparently confused the goal line technology system which strikes me as weird. So there was a big delay where they tried to kind of reboot the goal line technology before they got underway. And then, you know, uh, Lyon, I think, were, were 2-0 up at halftime. And Fekir gave uh, the traditional halftime analysis, having just been dragged off the pitch, where it's all very stereotyped. Yes, well, we're just going to try hard to get the sec- to get another goal. You know, it's a hard match. It's very important. That, that, that wanders off while still mid-sentence. And... Then things really heated up in the second half. Obviously, uh, Leo Lacroix was sent off for a fairly terrible tackle um, on him. And I thought possibly it would have been sensible to take Fekir off shortly after that because he clearly lost his call. He did foul somebody else badly but didn't get booked. He had he was being kicked all over the park and it was like, take him off because he's either going to hit somebody or he's going to get hit again and possibly do himself a real injury. Um, But he stayed on, and as Jez mentioned on Twitter when we were discussing this before, he did calm down. He did seem to calm down a bit. Possibly, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this because he was already planning what he was going to do. Um, But yes, he gets the fifth goal. Now, the biggest margin Leon have ever won this derby by was 4-1, was three goals. So... This is huge. Historically speaking, I mean, this is, you've got Saint-Étienne fans, uh, got Lyon fans basically saying, um, you know, he's written himself in the history books by getting that goal. So, you know, he can celebrate. And I think that's, that's perfectly right. I mean, one thing you do know is that the pitch invasion, which actually stopped the match the second time for God knows, felt like ages. It took about two and a half hours to get the damn game played from start to finish but that was from the other end uh, because apparently the Saint-Étienne fans were so so annoyed about what was going on it wasn't even that necessarily that kicked them off um but yes I mean what was interesting was after that long delay when they came back out to play the final five minutes which they didn't even really bother playing the final five minutes the referee had clearly had enough um there was a sideline interview with Fekir from uh, Laurent Paganelli, uh, who is the Canal Plus kind of uh, pitch side reporter. And Fekir seemed much more chipper in that interview than the half-time interview. He did say, yeah, maybe I wouldn't do it again. But he did very explicitly say, I don't regret doing it. And seemed very kind of happy about life and cheerful about how things were going. And also didn't look like he'd just been yelled at in the recent past. So... I think one thing you'd say about it is, yes, it was it was deeply disrespectful. Yes, it was deeply disrespectful, but that doesn't mean it was a 
an unacceptable thing to do in a sense you know they've been getting uh whistled uh, and and abuse and everything throughout the match if they give it back fine that's what it's all about I mean, you saw before the match Saint-Étienne had these amazing tifos up on one side it said something about it's not how you win it's that you win and the other side said pas de grâce pas de pitié basically no mercy and then of course they went behind about 11 minutes in and it you can you could see the tension and how much this derby does mean as Jess says historically arguably this is the biggest derby in France and so yes if he's going to to uh, show his shirt and taunt the fans maybe not the smartest thing in the world but I don't have a particular problem with it it was part of an amazing spectacle there's um Vincent Duluc from um from L'Equipe um sent a tweet saying that um the LFP or the Disciplinary Commission or whoever have announced that they're going to open inquiries mm. into um, the pitch invasion, the banners or TIFOs at the start of the match, and Fekir's shirt. Right. And I agree with him. He said only one of them merits any kind of investigation, and that's the yeah. pitch invasion. Exactly. Um, the, the, the other the, two... The, um, sorry, one, one thing, sorry, that was just said by Canal Plus after the match um, from their guys who actually kind of were clearly reading the rules during the, the, the massive delays was because Fekir was booked for taking his shirt off, it won't be the disciplinary committee that decides this. It might be the ethics committee. There's another committee um, at DISCOM at the LFP. Lord. I have, I mean, there's been a lot of sort of, um, of defence of him using Messi and Ronaldo and saying this is typical sort of uh, LFP or Liga kind of shooting self in foot. You know, when they when Messi or Ronaldo does it, everyone says, "Oh, you know, the fantastic magic of football." And look at these superstars. If anyone from Liga does it, suddenly it's you know this terrible thing, and we should never have away supporters again, and players shouldn't be allowed to do that, and all this kind of thing. Interestingly, um, there's been a few photos appearing of. Juninho doing exactly the same thing for Lyon a few years ago in a match mm -hmm. against Marseille, which denied Marseille the championship. And Marseille fans, who are not necessarily the most uh, calm-headed of people, you know, they didn't convey the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I. Yeah, a pitch invasion is different. It was silly. From it was cheeky. Yeah. yeah, but that's part of football. That's part of the story of football. If you take all that kind of thing out and entirely sanitize it, and as Phil said, you know, that Lacroix foul, and it looked like he was in tears. I was thinking, God, you know, he's just got his way back into the yeah. France squad, and he's yeah. going to have to pull out. Um, I don't blame him for being a bit pissed off, and I think he could have reacted in a much worse way than taking his shirt off collective sigh of relief wasn't it when he played on and yeah. I'll, I'll take you back to 2009 i just bring this up as a support of my own club this happened to to us um 2009 october i think it was i think it was october um emmanuel adebayor running the, the length of the field for manchester city against arsenal i was there that day um and it's fair to say a lot of the arsenal supporters were not very happy with him to put it politely um i seem to remember there was one of those um small plastic stools thrown on the pitch at him um he got a suspended two match ban and a twenty-five thousand, or t was it 25 or two hundred fifty thousand? it's quite a lot of money anyway Twenty-five thousand, i think it was fine um so i think the the kind of the, the history of this is is that players get a bit of a slap on the wrist get told never to do it again 
uh, and then a couple of years later, somebody else does it again. So, yeah, I think I think you just have to be a bit careful. And and, and after all, what is pitch side security there for? Um, you know, it's there to protect the players, but also to protect the fans in the same way. And I think if mm. the players are going to, you know, if, if fans can't control themselves, um, you know what you're getting. You know, it's not like you go to the cinema and you have to, uh, you know, you're going to stand up and throw things at, at, the, at the screen, is it? You know, you know where, you know how to conduct yourself and you know that there's a good chance that if you lose the game, you're going to get baited. So, well, I think that's, that's part of the problem as well, is that a lot of us, now, myself, I include myself in this, we're looking at it now with hindsight. You know, yeah. at the time we've seen that celebration before and it's, you know, it winds the fans up. But, you know, ultimately players, I think they're entitled to do that. What we're, you know, no one expected Saint-Étienne fans to invade the pitch. No one did. Yep. Fekir didn't. No other players did. No other fans, you know, apart from those idiots that ran onto the pitch. So that's the problem, is that is that this for Fekir is being blown out of slight proportion because of the Saint-Étienne fans' reaction. I don't mm. think we should, you know, looking it, back it, on it, it now... It wasn't even the fans that he was showing the shirt to as well. I mean, no. they, were, they were clearly, I would say not happy but it was actually from behind him that you saw the 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 invasion and the crs show up and then everybody um waved off the pitch but um it it did seem to be coming from a different direction we we had some people um saying it was synthetian fans who were who left extremely early because there were fights breaking out in the home stand um, you've got to think they were they were so cross about it after a fifth goal, they were probably going to invade the pitch anyway. I mean, I know they came from the back, but I don't know if anyone has timed it to see actually what happened first. Because by the time he got his his captain's armband off and then took his <laughs> shirt off, which kind of puts paid a little bit to the fact that oh no, it was completely done on instinct. Because yeah. <laughs> I think he was ta- he was taking the armband off before it hit the back of the net. I think. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. I I, I think I think that's why. He- he calmed down. He, he planned it. I mean, one one kind of hilarious thing that you may not have seen on coverage in, in Britain was when there was the massive delay when we were trying to work out what the hell was going on after that match was stopped. Pacanelli again, this basically TV reporter was back or backstage at the stadium with his cameraman trying to get people to tell him what was going on and ended up just walking into the room the ref I think the referee's office where they were having the discussion about whether it was going to continue and they just shut the door and it was like hang on he's in charge now and then a couple of minutes later there was this picture of the door opening again and him being very gently but firmly removed from the room um and and it was shortly after that they said yes we are going to continue playing and he made the point are we going to you know kind of continue here because there was a one rumor was that if the match is called off it would be given to ol as a three nil win uh, and of course, that would have been slightly different in the record books than five, their biggest ever, ever victory. So it was absolute chaos. It was a, a wonderful watch for a neutral or an OL fan. I think possibly the, the Sensetian fans obviously will not uh, look back on that but uh, with, with any joy. But we got one question from uh, Connor DeSmith, who is DeSmith19 on Twitter. Why have Saint-Étienne fallen off so much since the start of the season? Because they were terrible. When you saw Pierre-Gabriel getting rinsed repeatedly by, by Depay, 
when Hamuma went off and he's apparently out for the rest of the year, you know, what has happened to them is is a kind of a another question to ask about why they were so bad in that match. I think that um just sorry, just very, very quickly I also just want to mention as a side note that at exactly the same time Genesio was being asked about it and saying, Yeah, yep. I think Fekir shouldn't have done that. Yep. At exactly the same time Olas is tweeting, Go on Fekir <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> And and you like can, and I you said can... Fekir did not look like he'd been yelled at when <laughs> when he was later interviewed. And you can only imagine the meltdown at uh, EA Sports Studios as the um, developers frantically went, oh, God, we've got to do another celebration for the game next year. <laughs> frantically trying to edit how to get players to take their shirts off in the game. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, on Saint-Etienne, I think yeah. we sort of we mentioned it a bit last week, and it's sort of been a thing that's kind of been gathering pace for a few weeks now in some of the papers, and it's sort of really come out since since Sunday and I think that there's genuine speculation that Garcia could be leaving sooner rather than later mm-hmm. um, the only possible question being whether he's going to jump or be pushed because I'm not sure it's working out there at the moment there was um I think it was during that that um, the break in play that um, the cameras caught um, Florentin Pogba sort of slagging Garcia off to Brian Darbo um, there's I think there's a few people questioning a couple of the the um, selection decisions for the match. Um, I think that there's quite a few players who are a bit annoyed about Garcia being the the type of manager who kind of criticises his players in press conferences rather than behind closed doors. Um, so that there's definitely issues there. On the other side, um, Garcia. I mean, right from the start, I remember there was an article sort of the week he joined saying that he was a bit disgusted with things like, I think there there wasn't a cab to pick him up at the airport and they hadn't booked the right hotel. And then the hotel they did have, there was a heat wave that week and it didn't have aircon and various things like that. I think he didn't have an office when he arrived. Um, so I think he's apparently not very happy at the um, amateurism, as he's called it, I think, uh, at Saint-Etienne. So... I could definitely see things possibly, you know, maybe he'll stay till Christmas and I could see him leaving after that. Yeah, um, all, all is not well, I think it's so fair to say. One other question we have relating to this match was from our good friend Terry Camille, Le False Number 12 on Twitter, who of course wrote an article for us at the end of September about Genesio's Achilles heel, the Lyon defensive shambles that was at the time causing much mass hilarity in Ligue 1, since which time um, they've got six wins on the bounce, including against Monaco, and as he puts it, they put five past Saint-Etienne, but that was also Lyon's fourth clean sheet in a row. What sorcery is this? Uh, Rich, I'm res- <laughs> I think reserving you- <laughs> judgment, I think, on this, aren't we all, I think, you- to be fair? You had a, a, an idea about that earlier, didn't well, you? Well, I just, I just think you look at that defence and there's... You know, the vast majority of that defence are new recruits. So I think you just need to, you know, a little bit of time was needed for them to bed in. Um, you know, Marcel, uh, sorry, Marcelo and Morel um, are looking pretty decent together. I never think they're going to be the world's strongest centre-back pairing. Um, you never quite know what you're going to get from Jeremy Morel. But I'm really, li- I'm really liking their full-backs. I think, you know, Tete down the right um, with Raphael... 
occasionally being brought into the squad, but really liking how, how Teti's settling in. Um, I think he's getting forward really well. He's getting part of the attacks really well, but looks pretty good in defence. And on the left, there's a sort of interchange then between Marcel, um, you know, who we've known is a, is a you know, pretty good left back. Um, but it's young Furlan Mendy. I've been really, really impressed with when he's come in, considering how young he is. Um, you know, this is his first taste of, of top flight football. Um, I think he's come in, he's settled really, really quickly and looks a really good prospect, I think. So, so for me, it's those fullbacks. Um, I think, I think it's, a, it's a solid enough centre-back pairing without any, being anything too spectacular. But those fullbacks seem both defensively um, capable, but also really happy to get forward and, and contribute a lot uh, in attack. I think yeah, every every team, as you say, when they get a full new recruit set up, takes time to settle. Just ask Lille about that. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it, it's and, and when confidence is such a big thing in modern football and any football, I think at any level, when you're playing well and you're performing well, you you often look more organised and more structured. When you're not and you're a little bit West Ham, it all goes all over the shop. So I think at the moment they're playing at the top of their game and. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on Genesio. I still think there's a little bit of suspect there, but we shall see. should also mention those four consecutive clean sheets have been against Trois, Metz, yes. um, Everton in disarray, and arguably Saint-Étienne in disarray as well. So, A little bit of a caveat there. Yeah, I think it's fair yeah. to say. Um, I just want one uh, a one-word answer from you all before we um, move on. Um, Nabil Fakir, if, it's a big if, I know, but if he stays injury-free and maintains a level of this form for the rest of the season, does he remain a Leon player after the summer? Uh, so one word answer, one word only, so you can say yes or no. Uh, Rich? No. Uh, Jez? No. And Phil? I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say no as well. Um, I I just yeah I can't see it. I, I just I think he's he's destined for a bigger club. Um, I'm not going to say who I think that club will be because I think it all depends on how much this form continues. But uh, yeah, when he's on song, he is a joy to watch. That's for sure. Uh, maybe a little partnership with Lacazette again in the future. Yeah, I'm just getting wistful thinking now. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, we're going to talk a. a not too much as much in depth about the next two clubs, but I want to touch on on two of the other biggies. Um, Rich, I'm going to start with you. Monaco is the next team I want to look at. They uh, they defeated Gangon by six goals to nil. Uh, we do have to preface this and sort of say, you know, it is Gangon, but nothing against them. But they are 13th in the table and having a little bit of a struggle of late. But um, a 6-0 dispatch without Falcao, has to be said. Um, Guido Carrillo stepping up with a couple of goals. Um, Keita Balde back on the score sheet as well. Um, Fabinho with his customary uh, penalty that never misses. Um, are, are they back, is it fair to say? Because they they still look like they're not quite at the level... Obviously not of last season without so many key players now, but Champions League-wise, some of the big games, they still look a little bit rusty, but are there signs that Jardim is starting to get them back onto where we expect them to be at this stage of the season? I think so. I think, I think their league and form has been, has been pretty good. This was obviously quite a spectacular result. Um, I think you need to obviously take into account that there, there was some senior players not playing. I think you have to take into account that Gangon are Certainly, when when Gangon were playing at Monaco, been a little bit of a bogey team, I think, um, across re- recent seasons. 
he was a two-all draw at the start of last season, I think it was. Um, so, you know, this, but make no, no bones about it, this was a really, really good performance. Um, some really standout um, performances from players who have not been getting as much game time um, recently. Um, I think three of those that stand out the most. You've got uh, Guido Carrillo, who doesn't seem to be given many opportunities, but when he does, he just always seems to score. Uh, I really, I, I don't get it. He, whenever he, you know, it's certainly last season. I think the amount of times he was brought off the bench and he'd get a goal, or very often a couple of goals. Um, it was just crazy that they got that kind of player sat there. Um, so you know, he got he got a couple. Um, there was a Dharma Traore who you know, big big fan of. Really really pleased to see him back. Um, he's had some some really rotten luck, I think, ever since moving. Uh, from Lille down to Monaco, with, with primarily with injuries, I think, really. So, really good to see him back playing well and scoring. I think he's had his third goal in only a couple of games, I think, now. Two, two against Gangon. And then Almami Toro. Um, there's quite a few of us, I think, that are really campaigning that he, without a doubt, should be first-choice right-back for, um, for Monaco. And, fingers crossed, will hopefully be the next future right-back for, for France as well. But he got a hat-trick of assists, um, you know, really, really looked a really great player. Uh, it was a performance that, if you know, if Jardine was watching that as, caref- as carefully as he should have been, he can take from that. Well, actually, you know what, going forward, Amami Torre has given me just, you know, all the, all the stuff that Sidibe has given me, that everyone praises Sidibe for. But Torre then gives me the defensive solidity as well. So it, it seems a no-brainer why you wouldn't play him, but you know, I'm fairly certain that probably Sidibe will come back once he's over his injury and we'll, we'll probably slot right straight back into that squad. But Amami Toure is, is certainly you know, uh, a great player to, to keep an eye on. So, but in terms of the, the, the sort of bigger scale for Monaco, I, I think this season was always going to be a little bit of a, I don't want to say disappointment, but was never going to, never going to reach the heights of last season. With, all the, with everything that happened over the summer, this is just a bedding-in season for this new crop of players, I think. You know, we're, getting, we're going to see the real effect of what Jardim has got from this squad next season, I think. You know, he's brought a lot of new players in. He's got a lot of very young players. As we've said with, the, you know, with those defenders at Lyon, they're going to take time to settle, especially when there's so many um, across that squad. So this season, I think, yeah, maybe people's expectations were a little high. You know, were they really going to be challenging PSG? Bearing in mind that the deals that PSG did over the summer, perhaps perhaps that was never going to be the case. Um, again, Champions League, I think it's probably going to be great for Ligue 1 if they probably just drop out of Europe completely almost, I think, um, so that they can concentrate on ensuring that they get that second place, which is what it's going to probably have to be, um, and get that Champions League football then next season. But um, there's 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 some really really good good performances coming out of Monaco, um, and it's just pleasing to see that it's perhaps not those usual players. Um, so I think credit yeah credit has to go to Jardine for for sort of masterminding and pulling all that together. 
Yeah, yeah, he's definitely um, seems to be getting them back on the right page. And weirdly, dropping out of the Champions League might not be the worst thing in the world because I think they could have a real run at the Europa League if they chose to, um, or indeed drop out altogether. But um, that sort of leads us nicely onto their, their biggest rivals. Um, and we're going to kind of combine the sec- section here where we're going to move into uh, the Grand Debat. Um, and uh, Jez, I'll start with you. The um, This week's... Um, sort of main talking point is centers around PSG. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about their five nil uh, demolition job of, of Angers at the weekend. Fairly well, pretty comprehensive as comprehensive gets uh, away from home. One of the best performances of the season, arguably in, in Liga. Um, Kylian Mbappe back on the score sheet twice. I think he needed those goals after recent sort of drops in, in form for him. Uh, albeit with his very high standards he sets himself. Uh, two more goals for Edison Cavani um, and one for Julian Draxler, who appears to be back in favour as Di Maria slips further out of favour. Um, what did you make, first of all, of, of PSG's sort of return to form in, in Liga, if you will? They, they just looked devastating again and blew on Ger away in, in this particular game without Neymar, it has to be said. So what did you make of the performance overall, first of all? Um, I do wonder to an extent if the fact that Neymar wasn't there possibly helped them because again, I mean, similar to sort of all these building rumours about Saint-Etienne, I think no smoke without fire. And I know, although a lot of it comes from Spanish press, they've still got um, a hell of a lot of chips on their shoulder and axes to grind and all the rest of it about Neymar. Um, I don't think all is well with him in the PSG changing room. Um, so I wonder if there was an element of everyone feeling a little bit freed without him there. Um, Pastore starting is always a, a feel-good factor, I think, for, for PSG. And what was interesting was, yeah, Mbappe looked fantastic after his <laughs> supposed out-of-form period, which is just ridiculous to, to say he was out-of-form. He didn't score for a couple of matches, but he looked really back to his sort of sprightly best. And it was interesting that he and Cavani seemed to to combine very well, um, which has been a criticism so far. Um, I wonder if one one of the rumours is that, you know, Mbappe does seem to kind of have um, a bit of a sort of understandable to an extent man crush on Neymar and when the three of them are playing it's always Mbappe and Neymar looking for each other to to Cavani's detriment so possibly without Neymar there Mbappe was a bit more focused on on serving his centre forward so that worked out very well um the fact is that PSG are capable of turning in this performance any week they want really against any opponent they want in Liga. um this week it happened that Angers were, were the victims, but, you know, Mess have beaten them um, in Angers as well. So, uh, whatever, PSG are just matching Mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, and um, Phil, sort of transitioning sort of into the, the wider context of, of the subject of the, of the debate, the debate this week, it, it's mainly centres around whether we class PSG as, as uh, the sort of informed team or, or the best team in Europe so far now granted you may not watch sort of as many other teams as as myself because I'm a massive geek um but there's a lot of talk in in England particularly about how Manchester City are the best team in Europe and, and the one team that gets compared against them now is not Barcelona is not Real Madrid is not Atletico Madrid or Juventus but it is all of a sudden PSG is that 
just a, a sort of a bit of a fad given the fact that everyone knows who PSG are because of the money and Neymar etc or is there a, a genuine sort of feeling that a French side could be classed as one of the best sides if not the best side in Europe at the moment who was it this weekend one of the managers it was Angers manager yes um, welcome to Emery Maria uh, uh, with well done in the Champions League, you're going to win it after they put five past Anderlecht. And obviously with, with PSG, there's been this sense that the league is there for the taking and it's the Champions League they have to focus on, which kind of blew up on them last year because they took their eye off the ball and Monaco actually weren't lying down and dying. Um, but if you look at the, the standings in the Champions League, this uh, season, you got three teams, I think, on 12 points, Man United, Man City and PSG. And PSG have scored 17 and conceded nil in four games. And yeah, they, they are, they're motoring um, now. And yes, while Neymar might cause some man management problems for, for Unai Emery, he has undoubtedly improved the you know the the quality the constant threat that they can provide, and with Mbappe obviously in there as well, and I think Danny Alves got assists for both the first goals, and then Mbappe set Cavani up for the third with this lovely kind of floaty back heel, like dance move or something. It, they they do look like they're having fun to a certain extent, which is also um, obviously obviously useful. But when you're looking at that Anderlecht match and the debate that kicked off afterwards because Levin Kazama got a hat-trick and whether or not he is the first defender to get a hat-trick in the Champions League is a debate that's been provoked by a guy who I think most of us would say isn't the best left-back that PSG could have. It's, it, it, is, it does seem like they are uh, functioning at a different level, but to a certain extent taking advantage of some of the other big teams, not in the Premiership maybe, but... Real Madrid obviously looking a bit weird at the minute. Bayern are back top after I think quite an iffy start to the Bundesliga season. You know, it's if they can take advantage of you know others around them losing their heads, then that's going to be a good opportunity to to stake their claim and try and get that Champions League title, which is obviously the sole solitary and massively important focus for them meaning yeah. higher management. Yes, yeah, yeah, indeed. And of course, you know, Emery's future, I would suggest. And and Rich, to sort of round us off on, on this um, particular sort of debate about PSG, how, from a sort of an outsider looking in, how much are you, have you been impressed? I mean, you, you've probably seen a bit of other teams in Europe. I mean, it's it definitely feels like some of the bigger guns have regressed a bit this season. I think that would be fair um, when you look at the aforementioned clubs in Spain, Italy, and even to a degree in England. Manchester City obviously doing fantastic things, but I'd argue Chelsea and mm. Manchester United are not exactly at the peak of their powers. So are we giving PSG the right amount of credit or should we just be saying, well, yes, but look at money and stuff? Um, it's both, really. I think, yeah, they, they, they absolutely should be being given the credit. You know, they're putting in some really great performances. Um, you know, there has been one or two where they've just dropped, you know, dropped off the boil a little, but by and large, they're now beating teams and beating teams by the scoreline that we expect them to now beat them by. Um, I, I've said quite recently that 
it, it should be we, we should be at a case with this PSG squad squad whereby a five nil win away at Angers shouldn't really be a talking point. It should be a case of well, okay, it's just another PSG win because that's the gulf that they have over everybody else in the league warrants those kind of results. You know, we we I've said countless times my my gripe that I have with PSG is they're not beating these teams by these score lines on a regular basis. Now we're seeing that. Simultaneously, they're then transferring that form into Europe as well. Means you have to you have to include them in the conversation of of you know currently best team in Europe. You have to. Um, you know, if you're going on current this season's form, ignore things that have happened in the past. Look at this season's form domestically and in the Champions League. Yes, they are. They are one of the. Well, they're certainly top four, if not you know, top three, maybe even top two teams in Europe at, at present time. Um, you obviously caveat with that with, well, you know, yes, look at the money they've spent. They've spent you know, an extraordinary amount of money um, on, a, on a small number of players. Um, my concern with PSG still goes back to that, that defence and a defensive midfielder. Because although they beat Pierre, uh, sorry they beat Angers five nil, Angers still had two or three really really good chances to to get on the score sheet, and really it was only you know their poor finishing and um, you know it was a couple of good saves from Mariola that prevented that. Um, you know better teams which they will be facing, um, no doubt, won't miss those chances, or will certainly have you know will will be able to have the skill and. and and talent to create more chances. So, you know, it, it's great to see PSG beating all these teams, but we, we shouldn't, uh, or certainly Emery shouldn't, uh, fall back on, yeah, okay, we're beating all these teams now, because as we've seen countless times with PSG, you know, they can do what they want up until Christmas. Um, it, it's, it's that period after Christmas where their entire season is going to be judged. So he will then have to make that judgment in the January transfer window, he will have to strengthen and he will have to strengthen that defence. He will have to bring in one, maybe even two midfielders for that squad to ensure that they can finally follow up on, on you know, the promise and the, the desire that um, you know, those at, at a higher level at the club want, which is Champions League glory. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that, I think. I would say currently, on just on current form, PSG are the second best team in Europe behind City. Mm. But it doesn't really matter what current form's about. It's what form is about in March-April time. And other teams are uh, past masters at peaking at the right time. Um, Real Madrid are having a tough time in Spain, but I don't, I don't think it's completely uncommon for them to have relatively disappointing results early on in the Champions League and then hit hit peak form later on in the year. So I still think they'll be there or thereabouts by an, um, a change team at the moment. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's not about now. Also, to be fair, PSG are having a much tougher time in the league than City, who are, you know, the gap between them and United in the most competitive league in the world is, is almost twice that of PSG's. So, mm-hmm. you know, we always say PSG suffer because they're not, don't have enough competition domestically. Maybe you could say the same for City this year. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a debate that will run and run. I think you will always get those people that will say, yeah, but they play in France, and that will continue, continuously be. And I think even if they win it, I st- that somebody will find a way to not give the league any credit. They won't say, say yeah, money. but they play in France, but they'll say, yeah, it's all money. Because all money. City and Chelsea haven't built their success on money at all. I was just going to say that, very, or Real Madrid, arguably, moving yeah, up all the best talents. Barcelona, or United. Yeah, yeah. Or any of the big teams that ever do anything are always big. Probably since Porto, since big. winning the Champions League, arguably. Maybe Liverpool. Back in the, every other winner since has has spent a lot of money. It would be fair to say. I did. Uh, I did enjoy. I saw one person over the weekend um, criticizing PSG, saying, "Yeah, well, they're not. You know, they're not all that. They do only play in France, Farmers League, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Click on their profile. Profile picture is Bernardo Silva. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love it, haven't you? Yeah, people need to think before doing things. Um, and and I think uh, strengthening in January is a must if PSG are gonna gonna lift the the big ear jug. Um, I, I do think they need to bring in. Uh, I think if we all assume Di Maria might not necessarily stick the, the window out. Maybe not even Draxler. Thiago Motta is one kick away from having his his legs removed um it just makes you think maybe they need that little bit of extra strengthening in january if it's available uh but we shall see um and remember listeners um if you do see him uh ben arthur is is for life not just for one season so if you do find him uh in your hedgerows or in your bins please do return him <laughs> care of paris because uh, nobody That's really so knows where he is crying Bless him. Uh, I think he'll pitch up under Mr. Puel at Leicester in January. I'm just going to put that out there, but we shall see. Oh, that would be amazing. Wouldn't it just? Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't it just? Um, right. Okay. That, uh, that will call an end to our, our debate uh, for another week. And uh, good stuff there. We will um, finish with a little any other business and uh, a couple of questions that we missed off previously. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of questions here, actually. Um, I did want to ask you all, I know this is coming a bit late, but it's one that I love to ask when nobody has a chance to think. Um, Arian H., a good friend of mine, now wants to know, signing of the summer and flop of the summer, or flop of the season, sorry, so far. Um, and similarly, Benjamin Bradshaw also asks, who's your Liga player of the month? I think for me, that would probably be Fakir. I don't know if anyone would dispute that. But um, have a 7th of November, so... We, yeah, yeah, maybe that should be for October. Maybe that's it. Does seem a little bit of an old time, but have any of you got any offerings for flop or signing of the summer so far or season so far at all? Shout out if you do. Oh my god! I love catching people on the hip like this. <laughs> uh, I think um, possible flop, um, Lois Diony. Oh, that oh, breaks my heart, Rich. That's, that's, breaks that's my heart. mean. That's mean. He's and he's just not been given a chance. And he's I got lovely he, hair. He's, he's just... been injured, I think. But... Yeah. And I no, like him. Mitroglou <laughs> so far. Yes, I'll give you that one. Yeah. You know, it was only thanks to Tovan that that scoreline was as good as it was because if Tovan wasn't there to get his goals, then they would have just been counted as Mitroglou misses. Um, not can we count Ram- Rami as well then? We can always count Rami. I think that's <laughs> fair to say. <laughs> uh, Wesley Schneider, could we have yeah. him into the mix? I know he's not fit yet, but does he really fit at all? If he's not fit yet, it's his fault. I yeah, think. I think he likes the pies and, well, not the pies, but he likes something in French. So, um, yeah, he's definitely uh, eating a bit too much or, or not. I don't know if the motivation's there. Um, 
not so sure. What about any success stories? Have we got anybody that we could uh, throw into the mix there? I'd argue Mariana Diaz is probably a, oh, yeah. a good shout <laughs> um, for, for Leon. Um, some bloke called Neymar's been all right, I suppose. Um, a bit obvious, I, I suppose, uh, that um, one. But... Tatra Sanu for Nantes. Yes, the goalkeeper, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good shout. I'm going to be very biased. Montpellier. Who is that for? Pedro Mendes. Yes, yeah. And Rich is going to be biased as well. I'll, go I'll on, Rich. Be, I will, I will chuck my bias in. I'm going to go. With, I've really been impressed with Thomas Kubek, yeah, goalkeeper, yeah. current hold, current holder. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll blow the trumpet on this one. Current holder of the um, uh, longest, longest clean sheet so far. Um, that, that's currently intact, shall we say? Uh, over, over, <laughs> over three games, I will, you, I will clutch at anything. I you are <laughs> reaching there, aren't you? Really reaching. Um, well, no, he's 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 coming. Also, he's coming under the Costil shadow, and uh, you know, it's high praise for me to say. Actually, you know what? From a playing perspective, don't overly miss Costil. They're they're, they're uh. not conceding that much. They're just not scoring. Uh, if you can win one nil, that's all I'll take. Yeah. If if we're gonna if we're gonna be biased, can I shove Benjamin Lecomte into that argument? Because I think he's done pretty well since he's gone to my. Um, he's done very well. Phil, yeah. you might argue otherwise, but I I've always no, looked no. at him Eight when he was at Lorient. And I, still the best in the. It's not bad, is it? I, I looked at him. Best in the league. I looked at him at Lorient and I just thought, there's a goalkeeper here. There is there is a proper goalkeeper in here somewhere, but he just had such an awful defence in front of him that I never really felt that he got the best mm. or they got the best out of him. I think he's been... Uh, when you when you talk of Ariola being the next big French goalkeeper, you think, well, there's a few others that maybe should get a little bit yeah. of a look for. And before I, I, I think th- there were some teething problems at the start of the season, obviously, uh, but now the defence appears to have organised itself a bit better. They're occasionally playing five at the back or three at the back, however you wish to uh, put that. And things uh, have gone a lot better. And yeah, only eight conceded, which is level with PSG as the best defence. So I think that's a, that's a good sign. And yeah. um, I would also probably, just to to continue what's felt like a weird Marseille loving, for, for considering it's me, um, <laughs> I've been more and more as the, as the season's going on getting impressed with uh, Louis Gustave. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I think he had a bit of a shaky start, um, but certainly probably the last half dozen games, he's he's really ramped it up and... I think I tweeted after the um, the Marseille win that effectively that Marseille team is Mondanda, Gustavo, and Tola. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's very other, there's very few others that seem to be raising their game to the, the sort of minimum level required by Marseille. Um, but those three are sort of making up for that, I think. Mm. Yeah, and in a, a season of turmoil for Mets, maybe just a word for uh, Dosave, who I watched a bit standardly age last season. I think he's got four assists. Um, Jez, you probably know better than I would, but. He, I think he's been a fairly he's, decent signing. He's been excellent I and mean, by a mile Messi's best player and best player on the pitch against Lille the other day. And uh, it needs mentioning that Lille were absolutely diabolical. And <laughs> it was only thanks to Mike <laughs> Menon that they weren't 3 4 nil down yeah. um, going into half time or injury time of half time. Um, yeah, Dossavi is one of the highest assisters in the league and he's providing Nolan Rue and not much else. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's to his credit. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we did have one other question which um, came in directly after the uh, 
the main accounts half-time tweet of Mets versus Lille, which I think, Jez, might have been you, um, which is from Jamie, a.k.a. JDog3001 on Twitter, which was simply, are you okay, hun? Um, Mets <laughs> losing uh, 3-0 at home to Lille in what sounds like it was a fairly chaotic uh, situation and second half. We did, obviously, we had Gib on the show last week. This was the match that um, Bielsa had to, to save his save his job, whatever. It sounded like the first half maybe didn't end up um, in the, the fairest situation from, from your perspective. But, you know, what was that? Uh, how did that pan out in the end? Um the start of the second half, Mets were still the better team. Then um, El Ghazi had a shot which was def- deflected over Did- uh, Didion, hit the crossbar, Baloudi scored. Straight after that, Mets still should have scored but didn't. And that was pretty much that. And then Pepe scored at the end. But um, if, I mean, we'll see if Lille kick on from that. But if they carry on playing like that, there's, there's no way Bielsa can last. I one one um, interesting thing was I think it was Friday night. Um, Lille put his pre-match press conference live on their website, which you have to think is a brave scheduling decision from whoever runs their website. Um, I think he ended up telling a couple of journalists to basically sit down and shut up. Um, it turns out his translator, because there's a lot of pictures and a lot of clips about this, I assumed his translator was just like a vindictive personal trainer who was going to end up in central defence at some point. Uh, it turns out he's uh, Salim Lamani, PhD, professor at the Sorbonne and University of Reunion. He's an expert in Cuba-US relations who has uh, appeared at conferences with Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn. And so that's who's translating for Bielsa now, unlike the guy who... Do you remember the guy at, at Marseille who was his translator who looked like he just wanted to kick off a jam with fellow Credence Clearwater Revival fans in a garage? Anyway, this guy, this guy is kind of scary, but the two of them work in a really, it's a really good partnership. If you can, if you do speak French or Spanish um, and, and can find uh, clips of this, um, this press conference, it is a fairly hi- hilarious uh, sort of male bonding watch. The, and, and what more could you want from, from well, life than a male bonding watch? Or have I spelt the word wrong there? Um, but uh, yes, we, we had, uh, there's just the one other, well, we had one other person with two questions that we'll cover. One is going to be, we're going to roll on to next week, which is from our, our good friend Thomas um, at uh, WYSAF Man, um, it, which was to create a team of players from outside the top two. So not, not Monaco and PSG of the season so far. So we're going to do that as homework for next week. And his other question was, can Nant keep this up? I think we covered this briefly last week when we mentioned about Nant. I think we all agreed that, yes, they'd probably keep it up but no they probably wouldn't finish as high as they are at the moment so mm. kind of a reverse answer of that question but yeah I think I think they'll be comfortable and they'll stay in the in the division probably in the top half but it's probably as far as it goes I think but we could be wrong we never know right uh, just before we close out the show then we just got a couple of, of other little bits of businesses to, businesses business to take care of um, so Phil what's the uh, other bits of bobs we've got to cover before we sign out 
Well, uh, the Women's Champions League uh, next round, uh, round of, I think it's 16, is it 16, um, is tomorrow. Unfortunately, there will not be a preview on the site because I have uh, discovered earlier today that Lyon are kicking off at 7am French time, so that's 6am for you uh, in the UK, against uh, Beek Kazigurt uh, in Kazakhstan, who are several hours ahead, hence the weird timing. So that's going to be on OLTV. Uh, if any of you have that, so there will probably be coverage around. If you are up that early um, and want to see some football, uh, Brescia will host Montpellier in the other game of the, the Women's Champions League. So we'll hope to have a preview, a roundup and a preview up for the second legs of those games next week. Uh, we've also obviously got the international break coming up. Hooray! Uh, France will be playing Wales on Friday and Germany on Tuesday. The under-21s are in European qualifying, playing Bulgaria on Thursday and Slovenia on Monday. And the under-20s are playing two friendlies against Morocco as some kind of um, sort of autumn holiday uh, on Wednesday and Saturday. So there will be some international news and um, things going on over the weekend that you can keep keep an eye out for obviously the under 21s it's qualifying so that's slightly more important than uh than the senior team but i can't remember where the under 21s are in qualifying so i don't know jez you keep track of these things what's going on i'm pretty sure they're top because i think they've won every yeah. match but i had to come back from behind in all of them yeah that 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 sounds that sounds familiar actually yeah so there we go. That's uh, that's what you've got to look forward to, um, all you international football uh, fanatics. And um, and if uh, as as our tweet on the on the Twitter site says, if you have any interest, the uh, the French squad numbers have been retweeted from the account. So uh, if you like that sort of thing, uh, as you all know, I love a bit of kit action. You can get across and find those in advance of uh, France's next couple of games. Um, but that is uh, that is us for another week uh, talking Liga and all things French. So until this time next week where we do our very best to find some stuff to talk about we might have to rely on some questions for next week so get them in early if you can but uh, until then you can follow us on uh, twitter or indeed tweet us those lovely questions uh, you can find us on there at french ft weekly um, and uh, yeah please do send us your feedback and uh, anything you'd like us to know or share but uh, until then you can find us on soundcloud and of course the website but until next week I shall say au revoir from myself and the panel and we'll speak to you very soon.